For 50,000 years, shaman have walked the earth. They have existed on every continent within every race. Holy men, medicine men, wise men, sorcerer, brujo, witch, druid, and healer. By many names they are known. Expanding their own ring of awareness, shamans have developed a deep connection to the earth and the world of spirit. Through this connection, shamans know with absolution that all things are alive and must be treated with great reverence. It is because of this reverence that the shaman is able to connect directly with nature and the world of spirit to learn great mysteries and tap into unimaginable power. Much knowledge has been lost, but much survives hidden within the fabric of time. It is through this show that I will share this cultural mix of shamanic knowledge with the hopes that it might illuminate your path on your own personal journey of discovery. This is The Shaman's Brew.
Hello and welcome to The Shaman's Brew. Tonight I would like to share with you the true and untold story of the beginnings of my ancient Toltec shamanic lineage as it has been passed down teacher to student by word of mouth alone for the last five centuries. This story will offer answers to many of the events that led to the construction of the great Toltec city of Teotihuacan, as well as the mysterious downfall of this great and powerful city. This story has never been told to the public and held in secrecy for centuries as requested by the Toltec Nawals, or teachers. Many archaeologists who have studied the ruins of this magnificent city still do not understand what happened because the Toltec people did not use a written method to record their history. They used something far more advanced, yet still not discovered to this day. So this is my story of what happened to me and the information shared with me about this mysterious city as taught to me during my eight-year apprenticeship with a Toltec shaman. So sit back and turn down the lights as I share with you the beginnings of a sorcerer's lineage as seen through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. In 1968, a young anthropology student from UCLA published a book that would forever change our world and the way that we look at reality. The student was Carlos Castaneda, and his book was called The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaqui Way of Knowledge, which chronicled his experience with a Yaqui Indian shaman named Don Juan. Carlos went on to write 11 books, all bestsellers, about his 10-year apprenticeship in Toltec shamanism with Don Juan. So influential were his books that it prompted Time magazine to do a cover story on him, where they dubbed him the godfather of the new age. He had millions of followers worldwide wanting to learn from him and his books the secrets of Toltec shamanism. What people fail to understand is that, in Carlos's own words, there is no knowledge in my books. They are a representation of knowledge. In a series of strange coincidences, Carlos Castaneda and I met at the UCLA library. We became friends on the spot, but eventually went our own ways. Several years later, through another series of coincidences, we crossed paths again, and this time we began a teacher-student relationship that lasted eight years as Carlos took me under his wing and taught me in complete privacy the secrets of his Toltec shamanic lineage. These secrets went far beyond the contents of his books and embodied what he referred to as the core knowledge of the lineage. While Carlos had a few other students during his life, he told me that only myself and one other was taught this core knowledge, and that spirit had been the one to decide who would carry and perpetuate the core knowledge of the lineage. He instructed me to disseminate the knowledge to the world at a specific time. That time is now. 
and to a series of exclusive articles, radio shows, and a series of books in the future, I will be revealing for the first time anywhere the secrets of perception and power that Carlos's books only refer to. These will be how-to articles about altering your own perception of reality, seeing into other worlds, and communicating with spirits and other entities. I will reveal the Toltec methods for healing the body, mind, and soul. In addition, you will learn methods of summoning an energy control so powerful that the knowledge had to wait for a time when humanity was ready. There will be articles revealing secrets of health and rejuvenation to a series of altered perceptions that could take years off your appearance while boosting your vitality through the roof. There is a lot more that is about to be revealed about this ancient body of knowledge. So if you would like to take a journey that will forever change your life, then I invite you to join me on this path of discovery. What you are about to hear is the true untold story of one of the biggest mysteries in the archaeological world, the fall of the great Toltec city of Teotihuacan. This story has been closely guarded for many centuries, perpetuated by a secret lineage of shaman taught by word of mouth alone. I have the privilege of telling this story because I am part of this secret shamanic lineage and I have been given the task of revealing these ancient secrets to humanity. What caused this great city to burn? And what triggered the mass exodus of over 200,000 people almost overnight? The answer to these questions, and many more, is the focal point of this story. What you are about to hear will amaze you and sometimes sound like fiction, but I can assure you it is not. These are the stories of my Toltec shamanic lineage as shared with me by my friend and mentor, Dr. Carlos Castaneda, during an eight-year apprenticeship. This knowledge has been preserved through the centuries in a very special way, from teacher to student in small groups of two to eight people in a generation, and this has happened since the fall of Teotihuacan. In order to preserve the conceptual integrity of this ancient knowledge base, Toltec shamans developed a method of teaching their students by placing them into an altered state of awareness created through special shamanic techniques and meditations. This altered state of awareness imprints information directly to the subconscious mind, thereby eliminating the possibility of emotional interpretation and subjective analysis, which often happens when a story is retold too many times. It's like a, a hard copy or a verbal expression that never changes throughout the lineage. This subconscious hard copy also transcends the translation errors often encountered between various languages and dialects. What this means is that the information I am relaying to my listeners contains the pure core knowledge of the lineage as it was told by the very first shaman, sorcerer, priest of ancient times. It is not my intention to present a historical dissertation on the Toltecs or Teotihuacan, for there is a lot of known information out there that uh, you can look up on the internet or read in books. 
I am only interested in bringing you the unknown information. But to bring this information into context and give it enough cohesion to bond all the missing pieces together, I will have to give you a few basic facts. The first misconception that I would like to clear up is that the Toltec people were not a race. They were a society of multicultural artisans governed by a body of shamanic priests. The name Toltec was given to these people by the Aztecs when they discovered the ruins of Teotihuacan. In the Aztec language, Toltec means artist. Scientists do not know what the Toltecs really called themselves due to the lack of a written language. I should note that these stories told in my shamanic lineage do, in fact, reveal what the Toltecs called themselves, as well as why they did not develop a written language. But I cannot reveal that information in this show. The lineage states that the Toltec people originated over 10,000 years ago, but science can only track them from the ancient Olmecs, dating back to around 1800 BCE. The stories within my lineage say that sometime between 250 BCE and 200 BCE, a select group of Olmec shaman were given a body of shamanic knowledge by the gods. These shamans eventually broke away from the rest of the Olmecs, taking with them an impressive entourage of followers to build a city that they envisioned in their dreams and visions. This was the beginning of Teotihuacan. The reasons for the liberation of this select group of shamans are uncertain, or at least the information contained in the core knowledge is a bit sketchy on this topic. It is likely that the decision to leave was a result of several factors including tribal jealousy and fear from the new abilities and knowledge bestowed upon these select shamans who received the knowledge of the gods. Tribal suspicions compounded by a series of shamanic visions and dreams most likely triggered this new journey to a path of freedom and greatness. Ruling over this group was the oldest and most powerful of all the shaman. While his name is not recorded in the Toltec core knowledge, his powers of perception and energy manipulation were. He spoke to the gods. He spoke to the gods in dreamtime visions, where they showed him a great city that his descendants would build and they showed him the sacred power spot where it was to be built. He was given geologic signposts and a vision of a sacred cave connected by a tunnel where he was to settle his people and build the great city of Teotihuacan. However, even with this vision, it would be several years before they found the power spot of his dreams. One day while hunting for food, a young warrior, a title that many Toltec shamans prefer to use, meaning spiritual warrior, came across an opening in the earth that led to a large natural cave divided equally into four distinct chambers 
representing the four directions and elements of the shamanic world. North, or earth, east, which is air, south, which is fire, and west, which is water. The cave itself represented the underworld. Immediately, the ruling shaman knew he had come across the place of his visions. It was exactly as the God showed him in his dreams. The power of this sacred place was extraordinary, and to this day it pulses with a regular rhythm as ley lines cross and intersect with the sacred cave, creating a natural vortex of energy from the Earth Mother. The next few months were spent honoring the gods and spirits of this sacred place as well as clearing the land and preparing shelters and a place for the shamans to worship and meditate. Most of this was, was done in the cave tunnel system below. It would be almost two years before the Toltec people would see the first of the permanent structures built, which would eventually lead to the great city of Teotihuacan. These early structures were built approximately 200 BCE and would serve the ruler of this new city for about another 70 years when he died at the ripe old age of 128. The next couple of generations of the Toltec people would see little building as they focus more on learning to use the knowledge of the lineage on this power spot which seemed to enhance and awaken even more abilities in the shaman sorcerers. Then in the year 15 CE, shamans discovered techniques allowing them to manipulate some of the forces of nature such as lightning, wind, and gravity to a certain extent. They also found ways to use quartz and obsidians as tools of human intention, similar to how martial artists used chi energy in their hands to deliver seemingly impossible blows. This ability allowed them to cut and shape stones in ways that our modern technology has yet to realize. So began the first explosion of buildings as the Pyramid of the Sun and Moon rose from the ground followed by the Temple of Quetzalcoatl and the first of many buildings births of Teotihuacan. During this time, several other groups of local native people would trade with the Toltecs, and later many of them joined in the building of the city. By this time, the population of Teotihuacan near 25,000. Over the next 300 years, the population would top the 100,000 mark, while structures both religious and residential grew to fill the needs of a thriving metropolis. By 600 CE, the city was over 200,000 people strong, and the city was living up to its name as artists and craftsmen and a variety of other artisans sold their work to the many travelers who frequented the city. Besides being a spiritual mecca, Teotihuacan had become a major trade center. In 722 CE, the great Toltec shaman priest Kanakuch who now ruled the civilization of prosperity and spirituality, stood high on the Pyramid of the Sun and gazed out over his empire, 
with a look of pride and power. Little did he realize that within his lifetime and under his rule, this great city of Teotihuacan would be inhabited only by ghosts. I would like to point out that the name of this great shaman priest is only an approximation of the correct pronunciation for it. The name Kanakuch means roughly, he who comes from the sky. By now, the city was nearly complete with two distinct areas, the residential area and the sacred area of the Temple of Quetzalcoatl, the Avenue of the Dead and the Pyramids of the Sun and Moon. These pyramids are as large and amazing as any in the world and were considered to be power objects and amplifiers by the Toltec shaman priests who were masters of the power they generated. These structures also held the entire history and wisdom of the Toltec Empire as well as the secrets of the cosmos. But not in the way you might think. While having no written language, the shaman priests were still able to record and store massive libraries of knowledge about the Toltec Empire, as well as the cosmos itself. This is a library that rivals the great legendary library of Alexandria. The difference between conventional libraries and that of Teotihuacan is in the way the information is recorded. Most libraries consist of a magnitude of books or scrolls, but without a written language, books were not an option for the Toltecs. Instead, the Toltec priests found a way to encode their entire collective body of knowledge given to them by the gods into the stones of the pyramid of Teotihuacan, using human intention as a tool to manipulate the stones on a molecular level. Today, we do the same thing with silicon and rare earth materials in the form of microchips. In order to read the stones of Teotihuacan, you must first know where the nine keystones are located in each pyramid. Then it requires that a shaman reading the stones enter into an altered state of awareness through a specific shift in the assemblage point of the shaman's energy body. Once that happens, the shaman can reach inside these stones with his awareness and instantly receive or download the information contained. Yes, I do know where the keystones are. And no, I'm not going to reveal that information to the public. Sorry. Kanakuch stood at the top of the Pyramid of the Sun, staring intently into the star-filled skies, as he often did when he was searching for answers. It was as if he would look into the stars for the answers to the problems that mirrored the city below. Normally, he would find the knowledge or wisdom after a few moments. But tonight, tonight was different. Either he was not connecting with the cosmos, or he did not like the solution to his dilemma. The year was 754 CE. And for months now, one faction of the shamanic priesthood was pulling away more and more from the principles and morals taught by the gods through the ancient shamans. About one-third of the governing shamanic priesthood 
had been using their abilities to gain control and influence over people for their own personal benefit. These acts ranged from sexual pleasures to murder by summoning dark forces. The people of Teotihuacan began to distrust the priesthood because they could not tell the good from the bad, and Kanakuch knew he had to take aggressive action before it was too late, since debates on the use of power were falling upon deaf ears. He finally realized that he must call an emergency council meeting for the good shaman priest so that he could inform them of his plan of action against the evil shaman sorcerers. The meeting took place the next day in secret, but the shaman sorcerers got wind of what was being discussed and had a meeting of their own. They decided that when the moon was dark in three days, they would mount a coup and take control of the city, even if it meant using deadly force. When the night of the dark moon arrived, the shaman sorcerers gathered behind the pyramid of the moon to discuss their final plans. They knew they were outnumbered by the shaman priests, but they had the advantage of surprises as well as the veil of darkness. They decided that they must go ahead with their coup since an entire shamanic council was calling for a confrontational meeting at sunrise. The plan formulated by the shaman sorcerers was to set a sorcerer's trap intended to capture the awareness of a shaman priest by paralyzing their assemblage points in somewhat of a quantum-like phase-locked loop. This is accomplished with the use of a specially ground and polished obsidian mirror that has been programmed on a subatomic level with human intention, or in more familiar terms, it was magically charged and enchanted. By placing this obsidian mirror in a strategic position inside the pyramid of the sun, the shaman priest would be trapped and helpless once they focused their attention on the mirror. Like an insect stepping into flowering tree sap, they would be suspended between worlds forever. With the black obsidian mirror all in place, all six of the shaman sorcerers stepped into their strategic positions around and within the Pyramid of the Sun. Once the leader of the coup was certain that everything was ready, he set the bait by summoning the elemental of fire causing this entity to manifest within the main room that contained the mirror, knowing that it would immediately draw attention to the shaman priest. What they did not know is that while they were running around in preparation to attack, Kanakuch had been standing at the top of the Pyramid of the Sun in one of his contemplation moments under the stars, observing their actions. Kanakuch was not in a position to warn the others by conventional means, so he shifted his awareness and sent out a telepathic warning to the other shaman priests. However, in order to keep the shaman sorcerers from picking up on this telepathic uh, distress call, he had to send the messages individually to each shaman priest, numbering 13 in all. He only had enough time to reach five of them before the shaman sorcerers launched their attack. Within less than 30 minutes, eight of the shaman priests became victims of the Black Mirror 
And just when the shaman sorcerers were starting to believe that victory was imminent, the five remaining priests took their own strategic position outside the pyramid with Kanakuch, still observing from a place of power on the top of the pyramid. When the shaman sorcerers realized that the remaining shaman priests were not falling for the trap, they rushed to one of the plazas in front of the pyramid along the Avenue of the Dead in order to activate the backup plan if the first phase of the attack was not successful. Their backup plan was to use their elemental allies to destroy the remaining shaman priests through fire and electrical plasma like discharges and the plan might have worked if it had not been for Kanakuch observing their every move from his place of power on top of the pyramid. Kanakuch made the first move by summoning the power of the Earth Mother from the sacred cave below. Magnified through the pyramid, he blasted it out in a single electrical discharge toward the shaman sorcerers. It hit its mark, killing one of them and injuring another. The sorcerers countered with a blast of power from their allies directed at Kanakuch. The blasphemous Kanakuch and gave the other shaman priests a chance to attack with their own elemental allies as the battle continued for almost two hours, moving to the Pyramid of the Moon and then to the Temple of Quetzalcoatl. By now, the most sacred part of the city was on fire, with stones toppled and statues destroyed or damaged by the magical exchanges between the sorcerers and the priests. Casualties had been light considering the massive destructive nature of the battle with Kanakuch and the, the three of the priests left to face the three remaining sorcerers. It seemed that the shaman priest might end up victorious in stopping the coup. But when the battle moved to the temple of Quetzalcoatl, something very unexpected happened. The ground began to shake, and from out of the skies came a large fiery orb that hovered over the temple, motionless and silent. Then a loud voice began to radiate out to all the remaining shaman priests and sorcerers, proclaiming to be their god, Quetzalcoatl, and it condemned all of them for their acts of destruction and abuse of the power given to them. The voice from the orb said that Teotihuacan would be no more, and that all the priests and sorcerers were to be exiled, along with the 200,000-plus inhabitants of the city. Then the orb proceeded to finish the job the sorcerer priests started by systematically burning the rest of the sacred city, leaving the residential area untouched and the other innocent people unharmed. The sorcerers, seeing that the residential part of the city was to be spared, began to flee for safety in that direction while Kanakuch and the remaining priests watched in disbelief and shame. They did not want to go against the commands of their god. They had no choice but to leave the once great city. Within a few weeks, the sorcerers who escaped into the population had remounted their authority and convinced the population that they were the good guys and the priests had been exiled from the city because they were the bad guys. The citizens of Teotihuacan bought into their lies 
and turned to the sorcerers for guidance. And it was decided that a mass exodus to build a new city was their only choice. Fearing the warnings of Quetzalcoatl, the sorcerers and people of Teotihuacan left and eventually built another great city not far away called Tula. This city was ruled by the descendants of the sorcerers and therefore unlike the great city of Teotihuacan, leaning more toward a warrior environment than an artesian. This city also fell for different reasons from then Teotihuacan in 1170 CE. The fate of the exiled shaman priests were a bit different. It is believed that one of them went to the city of Cholula and then disappeared into obscurity. Two others teamed up and left together to live out their lives trying to make amends to the gods by helping them in some unknown way at Chichen Itza. As for Kanakuch, he felt responsible and harbored so much remorse that he traveled to Osaka to live in solitude while perpetuating the great body of Toltec shamanic knowledge so that it would survive the centuries into modern times when the earth changes foretold by his gods would begin to manifest and humanity would need this knowledge to survive. He felt it was the only way that he could make amends for his failure as the great leader of Teotihuacan. During the remainder of his life, he taught two others to carry on the lineage and perpetuated the sacred knowledge, thus becoming the father of the shamanic lineage that I am directly connected through, to my mentor, Dr. Carlos Castaneda. The only other event of any importance in this lineage happened approximately 500 years ago when the shaman of the lineage had some concerns about the use of power, knowing that power can corrupt as it often does. Consequently, he shifted the way they taught their students by only teaching them what he considered to be important with the focus on perception and awareness rather than summoning and energy manipulation. However, in order to do this and still retain the core knowledge of the Toltec shaman, they chose one student that they felt would be the purest of heart and made him or her the shamanic record keeper, so to speak. This student was taught everything in the second attention or altered state of consciousness so that the information would always be unchanged and pure. Carlos Castaneda, who was considered a transitional shaman, was one of these record keepers who took the knowledge out of the protective secrecy of the shadows of time and slowly presented it to the world. The main difference between Carlos and myself is that his purpose was not to bring the knowledge itself, but to make the general public aware that the knowledge even existed thereby laying the foundation for the dissemination of the sacred body of knowledge. My task, being the secret shamanic record keeper of his group, is somewhat more difficult and represents many personal challenges and obstacles to overcome as I began to fill my own shoes as directed by the lineage. This show, the articles that I'm going to write, as well as the books, is part of the first step toward filling those shoes and disseminating the knowledge as indicated by spirit. In the future, I will release a series of how-to shamanic books containing knowledge never before seen in print. Until then, 
I will be publishing articles on my website, sacredsoils.com and theshamansbrew.com. Through these books, articles, and shows, you will learn many of the Toltec secrets about perception, meditation, and control of your own energy on a cellular level, including cellular regeneration and the slowing of the aging process. You will also learn about the world of spirit as I begin to map out the other dimensions to other worlds. You will learn about the true nature of time and how to do and conduct feats such as time casting, sending your intentions through time, and time walking. You will learn and practice methods used by Toltec shamans to travel outside your body to other locations and dimensions to meet loved ones lost and other non-human entities. I will be leaving updates and notices on the website and on my shows when some of this new information becomes available. Until then, this is Marcus Leader and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio. Welcome to the Wishflower Field, a place where your children can learn to conquer their fears and empower their lives. In the Wishflower Field, you will believe in infinite possibilities. It is a place that will empower your children and show them how you'll never know the strength that lies within until you are faced with the opportunity to be strong. A place that will teach them confidence and teach them when you are surrounded by darkness to become a beacon of light. Here, your children will understand that even when you think you are, you're never really alone. The Wishflower Field, Marie's Triumph, is an amazing children's book written by a brilliant author and mother of two children of her own, Jennifer Falah. It is the story of a girl who learns to view fearful situations as opportunities to be strong. Guidance from loved ones and a newfound inner strength help her face her monster in her reoccurring nightmare and find her way to the Wishflower Field a place of infinite possibilities. And if you have children, or know people who do, give them the gift that will continue giving their entire life. Give them the Wishflower Field, Marie's Triumph. You can buy the Wishflower Field by visiting the website www.thewishflowerfield.com And for a limited time, you can get a signed copy personalized from the author at no additional charge. Just go to www.thewishflowerfield.com. This book has made an amazing difference in my own children, and I hope that your children will also find the Wishflower Field soon. Sacred Soils offers rare, sacred treasures from our magical world, along with cutting-edge energy products and tools for empowering your body, mind, and spirit. We invite you to join our world by visiting the website at www.sacredsoils.com and signing up for the newsletter that offers information you will not find elsewhere. So join Marcus Leader at Sacred Soils and tell him Nightwatch sent you. That's www.sacredsoils.com. 
Did you know we are all surrounded by loving angels? Do you want to learn how to connect with your angels? Your angels are here to help you heal and move past lifelong defeating patterns that no longer serve you on your path. Learn to create a life you're excited about with Angel Intuitive Christina LaFrance. Please contact Christina for a private reading at www.yourangelcoach.com.
Stay strong.
so much life I've left to live, and this fire is burning still. When I watch you look at me, I think I could find the will to stand for every dream and forsake the solid ground and give up this fear within of what would happen if they ever knew I'm in love with you. Cause I'd surrender.